Before we get started, I just uh, just pray for our service this morning for Dr. Kime, who had a slight injury this week. Uh, so let's just bow our heads and focus on what God has to give to us this morning. Father, we thank you for this country where we can gather and freely worship you. We thank you for your holy word, which preserves for all eternity uh, the message of who you are and the salvation that you bring to each one of us. We thank you for your Holy Spirit that dwells within our hearts, that guides us. And Lord, we thank you for your grace and your mercy and your hand of protection and your infinite wisdom. And this morning we ask that as uh, Dr. Kime comes and teaches us this morning that you would just speak through him and use your servant. We ask that you would just lift him up and especially bring healing to him. We thank you for your servant, and we just ask a special blessing upon him this morning and that our hearts will be turned towards you today and throughout this week. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. 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 Well, oh, I knew somebody was going to laugh. Was that you, Joyce? <laughs> uh, I am sorry to have to be here in this state, but I thank the Lord that I am able to be with you. As uh, many of you probably know, uh, Pastor Greg and uh, Pastor Mike are at snow camp, and we need to keep them uh, in our prayers today as well, that uh, they'll have a good end that uh, maybe there will be some young people today that will have a life-changing experience in giving their life to Jesus Christ. And a safe trip back, uh, a little safer than I was on the ladder on Wednesday. Oh, well. Well, I have a question for you uh, that I'd like to begin with. What indicates that you are a true follower of Jesus Christ. Think about that a second. What indicates that you are a true follower of Jesus Christ? Now, it may well be that some of you are thinking about the fact, um, much like an old saying I heard many, many years ago, well, I don't smoke, and I don't chew, and I don't run with them that do. See, that's a mark of being a true follower of Jesus Christ. And you know what? Sometimes we do actually think about the fact that we are ethically and morally good people, that we follow the standards of God. And there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, And I would agree that that ought to be a mark of a true follower of Jesus Christ. Now, some of you might have been thinking more on a positive note. Said, well, true followers of Jesus Christ, they're religious people. They come to church on Sunday. I pray. I give. I read my Bible. That, That indicates that I'm a true follower of Jesus Christ. And I have to tell you that once again, there's nothing wrong with that. Indeed, the true followers of Jesus Christ ought to gather together to worship him. They ought to be studying their Bibles. They ought to be praying. They ought to be involved in those religious activities that 
mark them out in a special way as being the true followers of Jesus Christ. But this morning, I'd like to take a look at another mark of a true follower of Jesus Christ. One that probably very few of you thought of when you were trying to answer that question about yourself. What makes me a true follower of Jesus Christ? And to get us started, I'd like to take a look at what the Apostle Paul has to say in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 8 and 9. Let me read it to you. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times... You may abound in every good work. As it is written, he distributed freely, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. For the Apostle Paul, a mark of a true follower of Jesus Christ, he says, is that he abounds in every good work. And I would like to suggest to you that when he is talking about abounding in every good work, what he's talking about is generosity. Generosity is that good work that according to the Apostle Paul, we as Christians should be marked by. We should be abounding in the good work. Well, you say, well, no, wait a second. Wait a second. How come the good work can't be my moral purity? How come the good work isn't my praying? How come the good work isn't my studying of the scriptures or coming to church on Sunday? Well, the key here is to understand what the Apostle Paul says at verse 9. At verse 9, oops, and I lost it there. I got to get back in there. Here we go. He says this. He has distributed freely He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. I'll tell you, when I first read that, my first thought is, you know what? I'll bet you that's talking about God. Isn't it God who distributes freely? Isn't it God who uh, gives to the poor? And isn't it God's righteousness that endures forever? But the Apostle Paul is not talking about God. He's talking about the Christian. Indeed, you'll notice it says, as it is written. The Apostle Paul is quoting from Psalm 112. So let's go over to Psalm 112, and I want you to notice the context of what he says at Psalm 112. He begins the psalm, David begins the psalm by saying, praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord. So clearly, David is talking about a true follower, a true believer, one who fears the Lord. Now, this same one that he says is blessed in fearing the Lord at verse 1, he also describes at verse 5. And he says, it is well with the man who deals generously and lends, who conducts his affairs with justice. And then at verse 9, 
This man, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. So very clearly, the Apostle Paul, when he is talking about abounding in every good work, he is talking about abounding in generous activities. And that generosity ought to be a mark, not the only one, not the exclusive one, but a mark of a true believer of Jesus Christ. And so I have to ask you, you who claim to be true believers of Jesus Christ, if people were to describe you, would they describe you as a person of great generosity, abounding, in good works. Well, some of you might be saying, you know, I agree with you, Pastor. Christians should be abounding in good works. But you know what? God hasn't made me a wealthy person. I just don't have a lot of extra money to be sharing around. I don't have a lot of time I'm really busy with everything that I have to do. And you know what? I'm not the most talented person in the world. I agree with you that it would be great to be more generous. But I just can't be generous like that. Well, we need to go back to verse 8 and read it again. I want you to notice what he says. God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Do you notice that it is not because of what we think we have or the time we think we have or don't have or the talents and treasures that we think we have or don't have that is the key to being a generous Christian. Generosity is made possible by God. Paul says God is able to make this abound and notice the repetition of the word all so that you have all sufficiency that you have it all the time that you have it in all things every Christian has the capacity to be a generous Christian because God can make it happen verse 10 basically says the same thing. He who supplies, and the he is God, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increasing the harvest of your righteousness. God supplies the seed for sowing And God supplies the bread for food. 
We as Christians understand that it is ultimately God who supplies everything that we have. You know, I was uh, thinking about where he says here he supplies bread for food, and it reminded me of the Lord's teaching about how to pray. And he told us that when we pray, we ought to say, give us this day our daily bread. We as Christians acknowledge that the bread we have, the food, the clothing, the roof over our house is ultimately supplied to us by God. We believe that. Does God expect us to put forth effort? Does God expect us to work? Yes, he does. But who has given us the strength to work? Who has given us the health to work? Who has given us the opportunity to work? It is God. God is the one who supplies, and it is for that reason that before we eat our meals, we thank God for supplying that provision. If you believe that it is God who supplies your needs, is it so hard to believe that the same God can supply so that you might be generous to those who have needs. Now, when I think about this verse, we've already seen that first of all, wealth comes from God. All the wealth that we get, it ultimately comes from God. God is the one who supplies But I think there's another important point that we need to see in this verse. And that is that wealth is intended to be shared. Many people have the idea, hopefully not Christians, but many people, good capitalists, have the idea, I worked for it. It's Mine, And because I worked hard for it, and it's mine, if there's any extra, then I can use it for my own pleasures, my own satisfactions, my own desires. That is not a biblical concept. I want you to notice that in this verse, he says, yes, God supplies bread for food. But the other word that he uses for God's supply is that he supplies seed for the sower. Now, I remember, uh, I'm, by the way, I apologize to all of the farmers and really great Lancaster County gardeners that are in the group. I'm not one of them. But I can remember uh, that when my wife and I were first married, uh, we lived on uh, a little half acre, rented a little half acre uh, a lot with a little cottage on it. And uh, the, uh, the, the people we rented from lived next door and he was a great, great gardener. And he convinced us that we should have a garden. Now, the only thing I ever sewed into the ground were tin cans. I was raised in a city. 
I didn't know anything about gardening. But he said, don't you worry, I'll help you. So he said, you know, the first thing, early crop, uh, it's peas. Uh, So the first thing you need to do is order some peas. And we used the burpee seed, you know, uh, that uh, mail order seeds. And I can remember getting my half pound uh, of, uh, of pea seeds. And when I opened up the pouch, do you know what I found? Peas. I had no idea that the pea was the seed. At that point, I had two choices. I could either try to boil those peas and, uh, you know, make some, uh, you know, pea soup or something to eat. Or I could sow those peas in the ground. Not to be consumed by me, but to produce a crop. You understand that. When he uses the word seed to sow, he's saying not to be consumed by you, but rather to be sown. As Pastor mentioned, if we sow sparingly, talking about generosity, we reap sparingly. If we sow generously, we will reap generously. So wealth is not only given by God, but wealth is intended to be shared. Look with me at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28. In one verse, we see a little capsule of biblical teaching on work and wealth. And this is what the verse says. Let this thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Now, there are two, I think, key ideas about wealth that we find in this verse. First of all, wealth should be acquired through honest labor. Don't steal. Do an honest job. Put in hours and work hard. Wealth should be acquired through honest work. I could say a lot about that, but I'm not going to. I think we need to be careful that as Americans, we're not acquiring our wealth and our status by robbing the impoverished peoples of the world, by not having fair labor practices. But that's not the point I want to get at. The point that I want to get at is the second principle about wealth that we see in this verse. The purpose of wealth is to supply the needs of others. He says, do honest work. Why? So that you or he may have something to share with anyone in need. I can remember getting my first job. It was before I even could drive a car. I used my bicycle to deliver drugs. 
Okay, now, it was honest labor. It was not that kind of drugs, okay? Now, I worked for a drugstore, uh, and I, I delivered prescriptions, uh, you know, to people's homes. Um, I got that job for one reason and one reason only. As a 15-year-old, I wanted some money to spend. You understand that, correct? Most people get a job because they want money to use on themselves or on their family. What would happen if today you found out that you got a raise at work that meant a $10,000 annual increase in your salary? What would happen if you just found out that you got an inheritance of $10,000 or maybe a Christmas bonus? How would you use that money? Whoopee. I'm going to get to go to Cancun. I'm getting the new 55-inch TV. I'm going to get the man cave so that I'm ready for the Eagles and the World Series. Or not the World, what is it? The, uh, what, I, I'm getting confused here. Uh, the Super Bowl. Uh, somebody said I should be saying go Patriots. I can't do it. Uh, I'm sorry, I, 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 I can't do it, okay? Uh, if you all of a sudden got a windfall, would you be saying to yourself, wow, the Lord has provided me with a gracious opportunity to be generous and help those in need. That seems to be so foreign to the way certainly the common everyday person thinks, but it is even so foreign to the way so many Christians think. We don't understand that God provides wealth so that we might have something to share with those in need. The pastor's already looked at this verse, but look back with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 13 and 14. Paul, again, in this whole context of being generous Christians, says, I don't mean that others should be eased and you burdened. He's saying, I'm not asking you to share with those who have needs so that you don't have your needs met and all of a sudden they have more than they need. But that as a matter of fairness, I don't like the word fairness here. I don't think it's a good translation. I like the word equality better. A matter of equality or economic balance. Your abundance at the present time should supply their need so that their abundance may supply your need that there may be balance, equality. A great example of this uh, actually being applied today in the real world is in the area of health insurance. Now, you know, the government tells us we're supposed to have health insurance and all of that. And you also know that health insurance is really expensive, correct? And it it creates a great burden. My son, who has a family 
uh, of six boys and doesn't have a tremendously, uh, you know, uh, richly rewarding job in terms of finances, he had the challenge of dealing with health insurance. He chose a most unusual method of health insurance. It's a Christian group. And what he does is he receives in the mail people that are a part of that collective group that are sick. And he sends them money to pay for their bills. And when he has a need, they send him money. Insurance is a secular way of trying to get this accomplished. God's way of meeting the needs of people is that when we have more than we need, we share it with those that have need. And when we have a need, they will in turn share it to us. What is the difference between just having an insurance policy and dealing with it this way? Well, if it's an insurance policy, it's a matter of legality. It's a matter of fiduciary responsibility. I had to look that up. Um, But you know, when we as Christians see a need and share, it's not a matter of legality and it is not a matter of fiduciary responsibility. It is a matter of love and it is a matter of trust. God's way cannot be replicated by the ways of the world. Because they can't replicate the heart of it all, which is us showing the heart of God through our generosity to others. Well, we're not running out of time yet, but a quick review. Number one, generosity is a mark of a true Christian. If you are a true Christian, then you should be typified by generosity. And secondly, generosity is made possible by God. Christians should never say, it's impossible for me to be generous. I just don't have anything. The widow had her might that she could give. But thirdly, generosity produces thanksgiving to God. Look what Paul writes at verse 11. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God. Do you see that when Christians are generous, it is God that receives much thanksgiving? 
giving. You know as well as I do that our God does not have a real good reputation among many seculars in our society. God is thought of as, well, he's the one with all those rules that want to keep me from doing anything that might be enjoyable. Correct? God is the God who is homophobic. God is the God who doesn't understand gender, gender uh, uh, issues. God is, is, is this God who just wants to take away my rights. But for us, God is love. God is the giver of all good things. For us, God is a God of generosity. But you know what? The world doesn't see that. And the reason why the world doesn't see it is because the only way they will see it is when we reflect his love, when we are generous in his name, and even the world will stand up and take notice of a God who is good, who gives, who shares, who loves, and they will thank God. But this verse not only suggests to us that generosity produces much thanks to God, it it also focuses all praise on God. Overflowing in many thanksgivings to God by their approval of this service, they will glorify God. Now, at this moment, I want to pause and just say a little bit about Christians and generosity. It's very clear that we ought to be generous. But I think we have to be careful about how we are generous. In Matthew chapter 6, as the Lord was speaking to the multitudes, he told them to beware about how you're generous. In the Jewish context of the New Testament, generosity was involved with giving alms or gifts to help the poor and the needy. And he says in Matthew chapter 6, when you give your alms, don't do it as a show so that you'll be glorified, you'll be praised, don't blow the trumpet. But he says, you know how you should be doing it? Do it so that your left hand doesn't know what your right hand is doing. Do it in secret. Do it in a way that not you, but God will receive the glory. So I'd like to suggest to you that to be a generous Christian means that you must give in the name of God. You must give in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. There are some one, wonderful uh, uh, you know, charities uh, in the United States that are secular. And I'm not opposed to them. I'm, I'm not suggesting that they're not doing a good job. But as a Christian, 
I encourage you to give through Christian charities. Give in ways that the world will see that it is God that is behind the gift. And he will be praised. So we see that generosity is a mark of a Christian. Generosity is made possible by God. And generosity results in much thanksgiving to God. But there is something of a benefit for you. At verse 14, he says, while they, those that are receiving your gift, while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. You see, generosity results in prayer for you. It really does. The book of Philippians is one of Paul's letters. And what's interesting about it, it's a letter that was written to a church who had provided him a gift. Indeed, they had provided several gifts to him. And in chapter 1, he says, I'm praying for you. I remember you in my prayers. Reminding, remind, remembering your participation in the gospel, which is another highfalutin way of saying, I remember that you've given gifts to my ministry. My wife and I give to several missionaries personally, not through the church, but personally. And one of the things that just makes my day is when I read one of their letters and they say, and we want you to know, we're praying for you. We're praying that God will bless you. Thank you for supporting our ministry. When you give, all of a sudden there are people whose hearts are poured out to you, who respond. It's not that you're taking the thanksgiving and the glory from God, but you're making a true companion and friend, and they will pray for you. Well, finally, the last thought in this two chapters on generosity comes at verse 15. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Generosity, our generosity, is all prompted by God's generosity to us. The inexpressible gift, well, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 explains it. It says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing, it's of God. The gift of God, not of a result of works, so that no man may boast. John says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that we might have eternal life. We who know Jesus Christ 
have received the greatest of all gifts. We deserved damnation. We deserved death. We deserved God's judgment. And God provided for us in his son. God sent his son to die for us so that we might have everlasting life. Shouldn't that prompt us to be generous, to pass it on? Well, my question to some here today is, have you received God's gift? You can't be motivated to be generous the way God was generous if you don't understand and you haven't felt the generosity of God yourself. It's very simple. John says, to as many as received him, to them he gave the power to become the sons of God, even to those that believed in his name. Have you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? If you haven't, do it right now. Do it right now. And I want to give anybody that's here an opportunity to do that. We have some people that can help you, that can explain it more fully. And I'm going to ask if you would like to receive Jesus Christ and see your life changed and receive his inexpressible gift, I'm asking you if you'll just stand where you are right now. Is there anyone that says, yes, I want to know more. I want to receive Jesus as my Savior. Anyone at all. Well, to the rest of us, I ask this question. Will you show your thankfulness by being generous to others? Will you be marked by generosity? A few suggestions for you. Contribute to our own food bank. I haven't seen a bulletin today, but usually there's listings of of things that are needed for our food bank. I believe it is in the bulletin. I I saw the online bulletin. Uh, Contribute to the way recovery houses. They have specific needs of certain items to service those that are at those homes. Contribute to our fellowship fund. Now, these are ways that you can contribute, in a sense, collectively. But last of all, I'd like to suggest to you that you simply respond individually to the needs of someone that you know. Maybe a part of this congregation. Maybe it's somebody in your community. Maybe it's in your workplace. And they need help. Maybe you will respond financially. Maybe you will respond by giving them time, by using some of your talents. But respond. 
Don't be just a hearer of the word. Be a doer of it. That our God might be praised and that we will receive the prayers of those that we've helped. Let's bow for prayer together. Father God, we have so much in this country. It seems like even the poorest of us are rich in the world standards. And yet so often, Lord, we confess we have thought more about ourselves We have considered our wealth to be our property, to be used by ourselves for ourselves. Forgive us of that, Lord. Help us to look to those around us. Help us, Father, to be your hands and your arms and your feet to share your love and your generosity to a world in need. I pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you.